God. Wow, let me look at you. Tell that person near to you that Brother John thinks they look real nice. Would you do that for me, please? Yeah, just tell them next to Brother John thinks you look real nice. And I like doing that in Texas around the world when I do that. I have to explain to them that nice for it to mean anything has to be drawn out a little bit. It has to be tell the person next to you that Brother John thinks they look very nice. Everywhere else is nice. It's just <laughs> I said, take it easy. Do it Texas style. Tell them, tell them they look very nice. So I'm glad to be back with you. Sister Pat was planning to be with me, but we got uh, caught in a, another part of the country and Time ran out and I had to fly rather than driving. We were going to drive down from Fort Worth. You've enjoyed the time with your pastor. I thank God for this great church. I thank God for when I came to this church, the faith that was in this church, holding it together in all kind of adversities. And then now in your property, but uh, the half has not been told of what's going to happen here. Foundation decides how high a building can go. You know, you can make something really big if you don't make it very high. But if you're going to make it high and strong, it has to have foundation. And I'm a probably 12-year almost witness to this church and the foundation of it. We lived here 10 years. We've been gone about four or five. Uh, you are in a special place in God's fields of service. I want to uh, speak to you today on the subject of uh, denied power, denied power. And uh, my uh, calling, the part of the vineyard that God's had me speak in the last 40 years, I'm, I'm 82 uh, last May, but the last 40 years, God has had me talking about biblical economics, what the Bible says about, and economics is not just financial. Economics means how something operates. And then a part of how it operates in faith, how it operates in a family, how it operates in marriages, but then also how it operates in finances. And in that area, seed time and harvest is God's chosen way of increase. He uh, starts, the when you read Genesis, that first chapter, seed, 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 seed. And then the Lord brings forth the story of seed, as Pastor mentioned, that uh, some of it has to do with the Word, some of it has to do with uh, uh, other seed that's cast into the ground. And then even in Second uh, Corinthians, and we won't look at that, but keep it in mind, look at it when you can, the ninth chapter, the sixth verse he compares the growth of your finances to the same principle that seed time and harvest grows a crop. That was Second uh, Corinthians 9 and 6, about three verses there. When you have a chance, look at it. It's a very large subject, so, but it will mean something to you when you see that the Apostle Paul directly links your outcome in your finances to the principle that a farmer would use out on the farm to grow much crops or small crops. And it's amazing how God puts things together and it seems like it always comes out in seed, time, and harvest. You know, when uh, whatever you want to 
reap, that's what you sow. God wanted sons, so he planted a son, and he's reaped a harvest of sons and daughters. You find, you, are you getting this principle? I mean, if you catch the... Now, you can live your whole life without the principle of seed time and harvest in Christ and have a good life. But there are some optional things, some optimum things that will happen if you can begin to see seed time and harvest in the things that you do. Whatever you sow, that's what you reap. Uh, sow little, you reap little. Uh, sow in many places and you reap from many places. It's a quite an quite a operation, seed time and harvest. I want to pick a scripture, and some will be on the board, and I'll just see how far we can go into this. But I'm, I'm going to just quickly read 2 Timothy 3 and 5. And it says, Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. You know, on close observation of this verse, you come to realize that there's a dual meaning. There's a dual meaning. And it doesn't come to you right at first. The first and obvious meaning comes forth that there are people that are teaching the Word of God, and they're not teaching the power principles that go along with that. And uh, many times it also can mean those that teach the Word and don't really believe in the power thereof. I know Pastor and I, as we spoke, there was a, a certain case where someone got saved, went to their pastor, talked about it, one of these traditional denominations, and they said, well, well, a couple of weeks it'll wear off. Well, you know, I mean, that is teaching a truth but not teaching the power thereof. But then also, denied power, denying the power thereof, if you don't teach the dimensions of seed time and harvest with the operation of God. And I'm talking about the general, everyday operation of God. There's a denying of the knowledge of the power of seed time and harvest to the people that hear you. So I'm just going to take some uh, uh, this scriptures and deal with them and some circumstances that everyone has heard about. There's not any new subject I'm going to get into, but there are things in these very known things in the, in the scriptures that the PowerPoint never, of seed time and harvest never gets mentioned. The story's told Benefit comes from it, but interwoven in just about everything in the Bible, there will be a principle of seed time and harvest and how it can be made greater, how it can be cultivated, how it can be engineered into larger things and, and better things. But let's just begin with uh, uh, 1 Kings 3, 3 through 5, from the Living Bible, and we're going to look at Solomon here. It says, And Solomon loved the Lord, and followed all of his father David's instructions, except that he continued to sacrifice in the hills, and to offer incense there. The most famous of the hilltop altars at that uh, was Gibeon, and how the king went there and sacrificed, now listen, 1,000 burnt offerings, and the Lord appeared to him in a dream that night, and told him to ask of anything he wanted, and it would be given him. Now, that is a, not an a unknown scripture. We all have heard that taught from time to time. But what happens here, and you have to watch, because there, there's one thing that's more powerful than your Bible. 
There's one thing more powerful than the Word of God, and that is your traditions. Your traditions make the Word of God of no effect. Are you catching what I'm saying? But now watch, I'm not saying you're bad for having traditions, because where do traditions come from? They come from the people that love us the very most. The religious traditions that I have and have had through my life, a great part of them came from Lester Miller, who loved me enough to come and win me to Christ, get me into the baptismal tank, get me regular in church, get me tithing, and those things. But in with that were some traditions that made some other things of non-effect. Can you understand? I'm not coming against Lester. I love him. Where, I, I, where would I be without him? He led me to Christ. But in the process, he put some things in me that were traditional and they were very hard to break because I had to not just come against what was said, but I had to come against the man that loved me the very most. And I had to take and believe something different than what he told me. Hope I'm not getting too expansive on that. But as we look at this, we know that this night took place. But now, let me point a couple of things out to you. Solomon brings a thousand burnt offerings. He brings a thousand burnt offerings. But now, only one was required. It was only required that there be one offering, one lamb to the house. But Solomon brings a thousand lambs. Now, okay, you, you know, if you're going to just keep from having people that don't have a thousand lambs from feeling bad, you don't say anything about it. But you've got to look at it because watch what happens here. He gives the thousand lambs. Now, what changed that with his relationship with God? Now, one of the things about the filling of the Spirit, one of the things about walking in the kind of relationship that you'll find in this church is you'll find that you'll have a, a relationship with God. You will be like you'll be talking to the Father, you'll talk to the Son, you'll talk to the Holy Ghost, and God will impress you and God will speak into your heart. Just about every person that is in a church like this church has a time when God speaks to them. You follow what I'm saying? And a God has spoken to me, but what does God say when he comes to you? He usually has something for you to do. Isn't that correct? He's usually, I want you to do this or I want you to do that. But I want you to notice that this offering was a significant offering. Now understand the word significant. The word significant means something that be, that's worthy of drawing your attention. Something significant draws your attention. Do you follow what I'm saying there? And that's, you look into the dictionary, that is the meaning of the word significant. But this man brings forth a significant offering, and that night... Not a week later, not a month later, but that night God appears to him. And this is what God says. He says, ask me for anything you want. Ask me for anything you want. Now you can cast that off and say it's incidental, has no, no bearing on your life. But the truth is, when this significant offering was made, God came that night to Solomon and did not say, I'd like for you to do this or I'd like for you to do that. But as if you believe the Bible, you have to say there's something significant about the fact that God says, what can I do for you? What can I do for you? Now, I love to hear, I love to hear what God wants me to do for him. But I also want to know the principles that will bring a point where God would say, what can I do for you? 
You, you follow what I'm saying? Oh, well, Brother John, that's not very religious. Well, let me say, my dad and I, we didn't have a religious relationship, but every once in a while he would ask me what he could do for me. And it usually came after I did something that pleased him or caught his attention. And now I'm not in a religious relationship with God the Father, but the Father can under certain circumstances that I can help to stimulate them. And it comes at a time when I do my giving. I can stimulate that relationship to the point that he'll ask me, say, well, what can I do for you, John? You've just done this for me. What can you do for you? And please know, this goes against the grain of religion. But remember, religion is what the war, every war in the world today is going on because of religion. And where peace is, it's because of the Lord Jesus Christ and faith in Him and people that are breaking out of religion. Now, if you don't want to take this, wonderful. You can live your whole life, have a happy life. But you could also take and prove me now herewith and when your offering is significant, and then just don't make a significant offering, forget it. But when I make a significant offering to God, I have something on my mind. You spoke it today in the, you got something on my mind. I got something in the Word that I'm speaking that I'm wanting to have happen. I may want, I may want to see a, a marriage of one of my children that's, that, that's rocky. I may want to see that thing straightened out, and I, and I can actually plant a seed and ask God, God, I want that I want that foolishness to stop. I want this thing to come in line with your word. You follow what I'm saying? Listen, when they're laying people off at the plant and, and everybody's hiding money back thinking, man, the pink slips are coming, who is it that steps out and says, well, I'm making an offering and I'm going to ask God and believe that I do not get a pink slip and that becomes a significant offering and immediately God is, Listen, what can I do for you? Well, Lord, I don't want to be caught up in this slaughter that's about to take place at the office. I want to live through it and have smooth sailing so that I can continue to tithe. I can continue to give to missions. I can continue to bless my children. I can continue to put aside for my retirement. Is anybody catching what I'm saying? I mean, this is not a religious God. This is a father and his children. My goodness. Come on. Now, Let's go a little bit further, and I've got to watch because I'll take forever on these things. Now, protocol was, I mean, you could be stoned to death for breaking protocol in the Jewish faith. Before Christ's death, you could be stoned to death for breaking protocol. And protocol, significant protocol, was that a practicing Jew that was walking properly with God would not go in the house of a Gentile. Do you understand what I'm saying? We all know that. We've understood enough, having been in church, that a practicing Jew did not go in the house of a Gentile. Now, let me say this. One thing about religion is rules can be set aside in a moment when God decides to set them aside. You, you, you follow what I'm saying? Well, let's watch this here now. We're going to see protocol broken, and it's going to be broken because of a significant offering. Because of a significant offering, protocol is going to be broken. In Luke 7, 2 through 7 in the King James, and a certain servant who was, a certain centurion servant 
who was dear unto him was sick and ready to die. And when he heard of Jesus, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, now listen to this. This is in your Bible. I didn't write it in your Bible, okay? may surprise you, but it's in your Bible. And when they came to Jesus, these leaders of the church, they besought him instantly saying that he was worthy for whom he should do this, for he loved our nation and hath built us a synagogue, a significant offering by a Gentile. Then, look at the sixth word, then Jesus went with them. You can't get that out of your Bible. I mean, you go all the translations. I mean, you can even hope that some translations will wash it out for you, but it won't wash it out. Protocol was broken when a significant offering was made and a centurion servant that was going to die lived a full life. And not only that, but it was so significant that it's in the most important book that was ever written. It's in your Bible. And once again... When, a, when an offering is significant, it draws attention. It draws the attention of God. Now, please know, if you think you're going to bribe God, then you didn't read the rest of the Bible. You only read the few verses. And we had a season when the church pretty well lived on five or six verses about giving and receiving and hundredfold and all kinds of things like that. But that didn't, you know, it's just like grace. We have an abuse of grace right now, some teaching abusive uh, of grace but that doesn't mean that I don't love grace and that I quit teaching grace. You understand what I'm saying? We have to stay with what's in the Word. Sometimes it's popular, sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's being abused, sometimes it's not. Uh, anyway, let me move to another subject because I'm going to use all the time lollygagging. Uh, okay, this one here. Now let me say this what I'm going to speak to you right now about. It had knocked me over when I saw it. It knocked me over. Now, it was less than a year ago when I finally saw it after 52 books on the subject. I finally saw this. So please know that our traditions will cause us to pass right by things and right by them and right by them and interpret them the way we were taught instead of the way of what God's trying to say to us. You catch but now watch this. This is an amazing thing. Now, Abraham and Sarah, 25 years, they're trying to have a child. 25 years. Now, you can go from the 12th chapter of Genesis. He said he was 75. And when you get up in the 21st chapter, it tells us that he was 100 years old when finally he had a child. But now this 25 years, every kind of thing went on. There came a time he was saying, you know, Lord, I'm losing my faith. Well, son, when you walk, the dust, just watch the dust. I'm going to give you a nation big as that, just like the dust. You're going to have that kind of children. Oh, thank you, Lord, it's working. And then 2 o'clock in the morning, Lord, well, what is it, Abraham? Well, there's no dust at night. Well, open the tent, son, and look at the stars. You're going to have children like the stars of the sky. And then, okay, go along and said, Lord, uh, maybe it's Eliezer, my servant. He's a very faithful man. I'd like for, no, he's not going to be your son. And then here comes and say, uh, Lord, look here what uh, Sarah and uh, Hagar and I came up with. We got this Ishmael. Can Ishmael be it? No, son, it's going to come from your wife's womb. When that womb opens, she'll conceive no matter how old she is and she'll have a child. Now, where are we at? 
we see this happen in Genesis 21, 1 and 2. Genesis 21, 1 and 2. It says, And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord said, uh, and did unto Sarah as he spoke, and Sarah conceived, and bare Abraham a son in his old age at the time set for which God spoke unto him. Twenty-five years later, hallelujah, and it is one of the great teachings of faith that over the years Abraham just stayed believing and then Sarah had the child. And it's a good teaching on faith. But did you know that biblical economics is in it? It's right in the middle of it. Now watch with me, please. Can you see this being Genesis 21, first two verses, and this being Genesis 20, the last two verses? All that's between it is the word chapter 21. It wasn't there. This was one contiguous thought. So just move with me to Genesis 20, 17 and 18. So Abraham prayed unto God and healed Abimelech and his wife and his maidservants, and they bare children. And the, For the Lord had fast closed up all the wombs in the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. It says in the 20th, it says in the 20th chapter, the last two verses, that Abraham spoke a prayer that opened the wombs at Abimelech's house. The next two verses says, And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken, for Sarah conceived. Now what happened? The wombs are opened in Abimelech's house in the last two verses of the 20th chapter, and in the next two verses that come up, the womb is opened at Abraham's house. What is the connection? Well, get this. Now, let this get in you. Ephesians 6, 8. Somebody say that with me. Ephesians 6, 8. Knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. A principle of biblical economics took place and when I'm saying not a principle of biblical money, biblical economics is how a thing functions. The, uh, the uh, 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 four-cycle engine has a principle of economics on how it runs. It's not only to do with money, but here is a principle of that brings forth a power from something. What is that principle? Whatever good thing you want to have happen to you, if you want God to do something good for you, start doing it for people around you. And as you do it for people around you, God will do that same thing for you. Do you catch that? Now, there's a principle of biblical economics. No one means to do this. There aren't any preachers that get up and say, I'm going to teach, but I'm not going to say this. It's just that our traditions, they sanitize out parts of the Word of God to where it isn't total and complete. Because you can speed up what you want to have happen in your life by starting to see it happen in other people's life. Do you follow that? Now, watch this though. Whatever, if I put full force of everything I have to have something happen in your life, it could be big, it could be medium, whatever, but whatever my abilities were. But now comes the ability of God from my smaller seed he brings a bigger seed. His hand moves. Are you learning anything? Aren't these things terrific? They're just, they're wonderful, but sometimes when something's been abused, 
Whenever five minutes you were hearing hundredfold, giving a hundredfold, and we'll have this offering, and, and God's going to bless them, multiply your seed, seed time and harvest, and all these things, it's always around money. All of a sudden the church just gets gagging on it, and they shut it out. But we can't shut these parts out because you're going to live your life during a time that something powerful might be shut out in the thinking of the church. You've got to have full, full gospel where you have biblical economics, you have the blood, you have the virgin birth, you have the second coming, you have the authority of the scriptures, these cardinal things, and I think seed time and harvest is a cardinal doctrine of the scriptures. Your whole salvation depends upon it. Oh, well, let's look a little bit further now. Uh, at the end of, <clears throat> after Jesus died on the cross, the Jews had a season with the gospel, their short season. And then God decides to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. Now, we know that he brought it to Cornelius. And Cornelius had, a, he was a centurion, he was a Gentile, he was an Italian soldier. And we, we know that uh, uh, there was a group together there ready to get saved. But how is it legitimate for me to ask how did he decide which Gentile to start with? I think it's legitimate. There were several millions of Gentiles in the earth even then. They were everywhere. But he's choosing one to go with. Now what does he do? Now you know he used to, in the Bible he used to cast lots. They'd cast lots about the scapegoat. They'd cast lots about, if you remember, about uh, Matthias, who was going to be the follower who was going to take. They cast lots. They would take and probably draw, draw straws so who would get the longest straw. They, 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 they cast lots. Maybe, maybe God just cast lots, said, <clears throat> bring me a hundred Gentiles up here and give them all a straw, and let's see who has the short straw, who has the long straw. Might have done it that way. But see, the thing about it is, is if you're dealing with God, you're going to be dealing with grace, you're going to be dealing with righteousness, but you cannot deal with God unless you deal with seed, time, and harvest. If you don't deal with seed, time, and harvest, you can have a relationship with him, but it won't be as tight as it could be if you understand his principle of increase. His principle of increase. Uh, are, are we okay? Now we're going to figure out, how does this Gentile get picked? Acts 10, Acts 10, and the first five verses. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion in a band called the Italian band, a devout man, one that feared God with all his house and gave much alms to the people and prayed unto God always. He saw in a vision evidently about the uh, ninth hour of the day an angel of God coming in unto him and saying unto him, Cornelius, and when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thy alms have come up for a memorial before God, and now send men to Joppa and call on one Simon, whose surname is Peter. Child of God, that says that your giving and your praying can go up and stand like a memorial before God. It's like a memorial. Now what is a memorial? 
It is a remembrance. Rem remember. Uh, we got a building down in, in San Antonio. Remember the Alamo. It's, 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 a, it's probably the shabbiest building in that part of town, but it is the most precious building in that part of town because it speaks. The building speaks. It talks. Now, the Bible says that when an offering is significant, that it literally goes up and it sets up in the presence of God and it speaks. It speaks. Ah, oh, Brother John, do offerings speak? I'm going to take one more minute and I'm going to go off line of my scriptures. And let's go over to 11 of Hebrews. Hebrews 11. Amazing piece of information. Brother John, I just put my money in the offering plate and I don't guess I'll see it again. Well, you might not see it again, but I'm going to tell you what, it'll never stop talking until Jesus comes. Well, Brother John, that's a snappy saying for an offering, but how about Hebrews 11, 4? By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice. More excellent? Would you mean maybe that it was a, 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 an extraordinary? What was that word I was using? I had such a great word. Uh, a significant, it was significant, yes it was significant, it was exceeding uh, 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 more excellent than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gift, and by it the offering, he being dead, yet speaketh, yet speaketh. I'm going to tell you, whoever told you about Jesus, one little whisper of a voice in the background was Cain because Cain has never stopped talking about there's coming a Messiah. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? If you want to, my, I didn't want to get into this. But when you get your money, when you get your money, when you get paid, did you know that's about the foulest thing in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the society is money? I mean, every kind of germs on it. You don't, you, you ever, it makes me sick to watch people lick their finger counting money. I'm saying, man, I thank God I'm not carrying their insurance. But watch with me. When, when, when that money comes in, they already, when there just has to be a few weeks old and have narcotics on it, it has different germs on it. It's been in the hands, maybe a prostitute handled it. Maybe some kind of a serial killer may have had it in hand. Now you bring it home. Now, you think if spirits can stay on a garment that they can't stay on a dollar bill or a $10 bill or a $100 bill? Now, you bring it home. You, where am I going? You bring it home, and then you use it for your food. You pass it out to your kids. I mean, that money is full of spirits. It's foul. But did you know that over in, in Matthew 23, and we're not going to go there, but just hear it, it says, you fools that say that the gold sanctifies the altar, you fools, don't you know that it's the altar that sanctifies the money, the gold? When you put your tithe into God's house, a sanctification process takes place on your money, and you no longer have regular money, you have kingdom money, and the word that's used there literally says, are you catching what I'm saying? It literally says that it takes on a new status. Last night when we walked in the restaurant, we sat down and we were talking this subject and I said, you know, right now, Pastor, in this room, there's a lot of common money. But sitting at this table, this pocket, in our pockets is uncommon money. 
It is money that has been sanctified. It has money that is so powerful it can open heaven. Show me something that can open heaven. If you use your money right, you can open heaven. Ooh, listen to what I'm saying to you. Would you hear this? Listen, show me money that can talk for four thousand years and still be talking anyway that's off the subject so we'll get back on the subject okay let's see now the memorial the significant offering of Cornelius brought Simon Peter to his house and what did it say it stood as a memorial before God his offering was talking, God, I want to know you. God, I need you. I know there's more than these idols that I've been worshiping. Lord, I want an answer. I want an answer. And when God chose, he didn't eeny, meeny, miny, mo. He simply heard that voice of that significant offering. And he said, yes, Cornelius. And it says that's why he did it. Read it again. It says that's why he went there because of that memorial. Wilson, when that offering plate comes by, everything. Listen, I, I educated my children out of an offering plate. You, you understand what I'm saying? I, I, I funded a retirement that I don't have to work. I didn't have to work since I'm 60 years old. How did that happen, Brother John? You lucky? No, I, I can show you offering plates around the country and around the world where I put in my finances and God saw to it that I had an, a, a, a proper retirement. Are, are you catching what I'm saying? I remember Sister Pat saying, John, we will not retire if we have to slow down our giving. Now, that's a crazy thing to say, but we've not had to slow down. I'm 82 years old now, and since I'm 60, we've not had to slow down our giving. Why? Because we believed in the offering plate more than we did the systems of this world that promise retirement. Are you catching what I'm saying? Your, that offering plate has something to do with every tomorrow that you're going to live. Something to do with it. Amen? Okay, well, okay, I'm just going to briefly, I'm not going to go a long time tonight, Pastor, today, Pastor. I think, I think we're connecting. I think we're connecting. Uh, just quickly, another one. There's a, there's a lady, and, and, and uh, no, no, no. Here's where I'm going to go. We're almost done. We're almost done. Now, I'm going to give you a break. I'm going to give you a break. We're going to lighten up a little bit, okay? It's pretty heavy, this money, money, offering, offering, bum, bum, bum. Let's go to this. Let's go to Psalms 118.24. Everybody, this is, this is one of those verses that will just get you out of anything you're in if you'll just turn to it. <laughs> this is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Happy, happy, happy. This is a beautiful day. We thank God for this day. That just clears the air, doesn't it? Well, how many of you know that's a financial verse? David was not a bit happy when he sang it, when he said it. David needed money, and he needed it that same day. But your traditions, I searched 30 commentaries on the internet and not a one saw the next verse or dealt with it. The next verse says, uh, it says, this is the day the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord. Uh, send now prosperity. <laughs> what is he saying? 
He says, Lord, you're making this day, and there's still 12, 13 hours left in this day. This is the day the Lord has made. I will. There's still time for me to be rejoicing. There's still time for my miracle. My fine. Let me tell you something. Financial miracles aren't hard. I can cause one to happen anytime I want to for somebody. Somebody walking along and I just say, would you like to have a $100 bill? Here. That's a financial miracle right there. You, you can take a dollar bill and have, have a financial miracle. You can just, anywhere, anywhere money moves, there's been a financial miracle because people hang on to money. But, why would it be hard for God to have a financial miracle? David doesn't say it's going to take 90 days, Lord, and I'm going to give you plenty of time to get this done. The payment's due, and I, I'm going to start talking about it right now. David said, look, it, it's due in 20 days, and I will start talking now. Lord. It's due today, God. I need a financial breakthrough, and I need it today. Huh? Now watch it. Watch it. If it's not all here, I'll apologize. <laughs> Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord. I beseech thee, Send now prosperity. Blessed be him that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of God. 27th verse. God is the Lord which has showed us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords even to the horns of the altar. He says, Lord, I've got my sacrifice on the altar. I have sowed my seed. And before this 24 hours is out, God, I need a financial miracle. This whole thing hinges on whether you believe the Bible or don't believe the Bible and if we can crack through the traditions and just take that thing God said, prove me now herewith. Test God on this thing. You make a significant offering to him and you just ask him for something. Ask something to happen and you watch it happen. It will startle you at first, but you really aren't working it until you get to where you're disappointed if it doesn't happen. You just know it's going to happen. Just as surely as if I ask someone to say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, that's one of the principles of the kingdom of God. It's a seed time and harvest principle. The seed was planted. Now just believe that the harvest can come to you right now of salvation. If they do it, they'll get saved just as surely I now know that if I do a significant offering, what I ask, what I seek, what I need will be met rapidly. Thank you, Pastor.